1: I was doing an interview for O Magazine. We we're actually sitting in this very room. We took we our were. shoes off. We, we t- <laughs> and you were talking about yeah. the girls' schedules and yeah. trying to figure all that out. And I left, you know, thinking and feeling the weight of it all, like mm-hmm. the weight of the legacy that you all were carrying, the responsibility. So I want to know: has that weight lifted or has it just shifted?
2: <sighs> you know, it, it's, it's lifted. I mean, you know, let's, let's be honest. I mean, there's no way to describe what it feels like to open up the paper every day and know that almost every headline is your husband's responsibility at, at some level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anywhere in the world, any major problem, any major issue falls on the laps of the commander in chief. And that is a weight that is, is indescribable. And now that it's time for us to move on, yeah, that weight has lifted a bit. Not completely, because the work isn't done until Mm -hmm. uh, the president-elect takes the oath of office. But knowing that we've made it this far, and we've survived, and in many ways, I believe we've thrived, Mm -hmm. there is a a weight that's lifted. Mm -hmm. Was there a time where you thought this period would make or break you?
1: When did you feel the most tested?
2: You know, I, I I think I tend to push the challenges. This is a defense mechanism that I've had throughout my life. The bad stuff, I just don't hold on to. I mean, so if, if we were to sit here and you were to read through some Everything. of the bad stuff, I'd yeah. be like, oh, yeah, that's Oh, I forgot all about that's that. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, I think I was kind of mad. Then. <laughs> but I think the way I handle things, and I, you know, I, I, I think we we as women do it we as black women better be able to do it Mm -hmm. because there's so much that comes at us all the time and every day in subtle ways that could tear your soul apart if you let it. But my mother always taught me, girl, you better keep it moving. You know, you better brush it off. And I I, I think I've grown up doing that. So the challenges, uh, yeah, there are times that frustrated me. You know, this this past election was challenging for me as a as a citizen mm-hmm. to watch and experience. It was painful. Had you originally planned to go
1: out, or was there a moment where you decided, "I'm going to now well, go they, out and campaign"?
2: They always ask me yeah. the party, my husband, people. You know, there isn't a, an important election that has gone by where they didn't ask you. Where they didn't ask. You know, the question for me is just always what and how. How is this structured? I, I've said this before if i'm out there if i leave this house and leave my girls how do i know that this will have impact i don't want to just be out there just to be out there but i'm i'm always asked so i you know that was something that people were kind of dancing around the subject okay we're going to ask the first lady if she'll go out and you know you could see people dancing around the subject <laughs> but it was pretty clear that you were but, needed yeah yeah after the primaries were over that you know they wanted us all to do as much as we could mm-hmm. so
1: Don't go anywhere, more to come after this short break.
0: No two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas' vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. Are you a beach person? Well, you'll be having fun under the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore and foodies can't get enough of Texas' world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store.
1: There seemed to be something that happened to you during this particular campaign. I think it was in New Hampshire. There was a level of urgency and dynamism that we had not seen before that seemed to be coming from a different space that wasn't just political.
2: Well, this was... The context of that speech was unique, Mm -hmm. you know, to have a candidate for the presidency (laughs) speaking in such terms about women, as I said, was not, it was not a normal thing. So my response, you know, in light of what I was seeing from my female staff, what I was hearing from my daughters, their reaction to it, for me required a different kind of response. You know, you can't just stand before people and just give a regular political speech. I mean, I was scheduled to go out on stump right after right. this was happening, and the question was, well, do I just go out there and talk act about like that it? Had what, act like that didn't happen? Well, that that's not true. That's not honest, and that's something that Barack and I have always tried to be in this office is honest. You know, so that people feel like when we say something, we do mean it. Mm-hmm. So in that time, there was no way that I could be out on the campaign trail and not address how that was making not just me feel. Yeah, but We the could women. feel that you had been shaken to yeah, your core. Yeah, Well, yeah. And, because a lot of people had been shaken to their core and still are. They, they are still feeling the reverberations of that kind of caustic language. So. I heard that on election night, you can't believe everything you read. You yeah, know.
1: please don't. Please. <laughs> I read I read that on election <laughs> night, you went to bed. Yes. And did not know yes. the results until the next morning.
2: You know, absolutely. I Look, I, don't, I do not like the back and forth process of politics. I don't like to hear pundits chit-chatting about mm-hmm. it. I don't like it. So you had awakened on not- November 9th, and you were told? Yeah, I got up and I looked at my, my iPhone, mm-hmm. and I saw it. And what was your first thought? Well, pretty much, you know, you kind of saw the tea leaves. I kind of felt how things so were going. So by went the to time bed, I went you went to you, bed, you could sense, it. Yeah. I was getting myself ready for either outcome. Mm-hmm. Mentally, I'd already kind of digested it before I actually read it. You know, so this is what, why it's important to understand. For all the people out there, they have to understand that... As I've said time and time again, words matter. And they matter most to our kids, our young people. And the words that we say moving forward, all of us, it matters, which is one of the reasons why Barack and I are so supportive of this transition. Mm. Because no matter how we felt going into it, it is important for the health of this nation that we support the commander in chief wasn't done when my husband took office, but we're going high. And this is what's best for the country. So we are gonna be there for the next president and do whatever we have to do to make sure that he is successful because if he succeeds, we all succeed. When you say it wasn't done for your husband, for his presidency, Mm -hmm. what do you mean by that? That there were people who did not support his presidency. There were people in Congress, there were leaders in Congress who did not support his presidency, which was not something that was good for the country. It was good for politics, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't good for the country. And that wasn't the right way to approach it.
1: When they go low, we go high. Mm -hmm. That is, that went viral. Now everybody repeats it. It's now one of the most famous quotes. Well, I just want people to act on it. Okay, so I want to know what that looks like. What does that look like in
2: the reality of this time? It looks like so many things, but it goes back to words matter. What we say, how we behave, we are modeling to the next generation. Mm -hmm. So if we want maturity, we have to be mature. Mm -hmm. If we want a nation that feels hopeful, then we have to speak in hopeful terms. We have to show love and empathy. If we want smart leaders, then we have to be smart voters. You know, we cannot vote from a place of fear we have to vote from a place of openness so, so we have to we have to model what we want and that's what you're saying you're doing yeah mm-hmm. so what was it like when the trumps came to visit it was very pleasant it was very pleasant i mean it was a, a wonderful visit because this is a really great job. We Did have, you have any advice for Mrs. Trump? You know, I didn't. We didn't. We talked about the kids, mm-hmm. but my offer to Melania was, you know, you, you really don't know what you don't know until you're here. Mm-hmm. So the door is open, as I've told her, and as Laura Bush told me, you know, and as other First Ladies told me. So I'm, I'm not new in this going high thing. I mean, I'm modeling. <laughs> I'm modeling what was done for me yeah. by by the Bushes. Right. And Laura Bush was nothing but gracious and helpful, and her team was right there for my team all throughout this entire eight-year process. And your team is doing the same? We will do whatever they need to, to help them succeed. So that's one of the things I, I said to Melania. When, when you get to a place when you can digest all this and you have questions, because, you know, you don't have questions the day after, the you election, kind of it's just sort of like, you know, you're looking around the house and it's like, well, what do you want to know? And it's like, <laughs> I don't know what I should know. And yeah. I knew that, so yes. my door is open. And that that was really the nature of the, the meeting.
1: So how are you feeling <laughs> right now? You're packing up. You're not yeah. physically packing yourself.
2: Well, you? yeah, I do a lot of pointing. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not like boxing. Boxing things. But I'm doing a lot of. Pointing. But
1: even when you're pointing, you d- even when you're pointing, because this happened to me when I was leaving Chicago.
2: You come across things, and it's like a, oh, yeah. I remember that. I remember that. Well, a lot of the books, books because we're going going through like my signed book from Nelson Mandela. Yes. That's not. Being packed up anywhere. I'm going to carry that with me. I don't, don't touch that book. You know, we have a lot of photo books and. I think you actually saw one I of them. saw one of the photo books just now coming so, up So just imagine we do those all the time we do them as, as You gifts. do a book every we, year for your staff We do it every year Barack does one for his team for his entire senior team mm-hmm. we do one for family members sort of laying out the year that the girls had mm-hmm. you know that's kind of a good christmas gift for grandma and godmothers right. and all that sort of stuff and when you look through those especially when the girls were so little they were so Just looking
1: small. through this year I was looking at your staff what I sense just looking through the book of this year, Mm -hmm. so many events, from college signing day Mm -hmm. to going to have tea and lunch with Mm -hmm. the queen, so many meaningful school trips. So there's meaning, and yet, as I was going <laughs> through the
2: pages, so much laughter. Oh, gosh, yeah. We're, we're the happy side of the White House. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning and laughter. Yeah, no, no. That was one of the things that I told my team when we first came in. It's like, we we because of the weight that the president has, because of, especially when he first came into office, and we were dealing with, a financial collapse that Mm -hmm. was unprecedented, most people don't remember that. The country was Most people don't remember, and a lot choose to forget. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) That Um, we were on the brink of financial collapse. We were on the brink, and we entered an unprecedented recession, and you're dealing with people losing their homes and worrying about their jobs, and on and on and on. And we sort of felt like we need to be substantive, but we also need to have a little levity, Mm. you know? Americans need a little joy, and we were the joy masters. And you
1: did that (laughs) in this house, because sitting here in this house, which represents many things, first and foremost, a seat of power, Mm -hmm. but it was very clear that the image of you and your family rocked the world, and then you literally flung the doors open Mm -hmm. to everybody from every walk of life, every ethnicity, every kind of celebration
2: wanted to change things up here in the White House a little bit.
1: From the moment she moved in, First Lady Michelle Obama made it her mission to redefine the White House as a more inclusive House of the People.
2: We wanted to open the doors really wide to a bunch of different folks who usually don't get access to this place.
1: She created an atmosphere of warmth by celebrating all cultures.
2: Hello, everyone. Naruzatan Mubarak.
1: The First Lady's openness and acceptance led to a flood of firsts on the White House staff. The first man to ever serve as social secretary to the White House. The first openly transgender staff member was hired. And for the first time in history, Mrs. Obama opened a White House family dining room to the public. There she placed an expressionist painting by Alma Thomas the first work of art by an African-American woman inside the White House. It seemed that you all
2: did that purposefully. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Why was that a priority? (sighs) Because images, experiences can be life-changing, particularly for our kids. Mm -hmm. And so many kids from so many backgrounds never get to do this kind of thing. I mean, you think of all the kids who live miles away in Anacostia who never get to set foot on that south lawn, mm-hmm. who never get invited into these doors and you know, experience the magic that is the White House. Yeah. I thought of that the night all the girl scouts were out on the Yeah, lawn. yeah, yes. you know, and it's not just kids locally, but kids all over the mm-hmm. the country, all over the world. And quite frankly, I love the look on their faces. Mm. You know, I mean, some of it is selfish. Yes. Because, well, you know the joy of giving. I was going to say the joy of when somebody somebody else feels something. Yes. yes. Right. Uh And for many young people, getting to sit in the state dining room and talking to musicians and, you know eating from our China and sitting in the East Room and listening to Alexander Hamilton, private performance. I mean, to see the joy, the tears, the, you know we've changed their lives forever. And so yeah,
0: that was purposeful. That was necessary. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Something should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be entertaining. Entertaining is for podcasts with inspiring celebrity guests, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. PNC Bank, National Association, member FDIC. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, There's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts.
1: Author Peter Slevin wrote this for the BBC about the unprecedented challenges that you faced. He said, First Ladies arrive in the White House without a playbook. They have no official duties, no salary, no official job description. Let's stop
2: there. Yeah. What did you say?
1: First Ladies arrive in the White House, (laughs) (laughs) yet critics are ready to pounce from every point on the compass, more so with the first African-American First Lady in a country that is anything but post-racial. So you arrived here with great expectations. And there were comments being made then and since that you said knocked you back a bit. What allowed you to stand in your own truth and find
2: your way? Being a Mm grown-up, you know? (laughs) You know, I always said to myself, this would be really hard if I were 20 or 30. And that's why I look at these young celebrities and I just feel for them. Because you have to be grown up enough to know yourself in this. And that just takes time. That's, you know, of, of, of course, I had great parents and I have a husband who loves me. I have people all around me who affirm me. Look, that helps. But just being straight up grown up helps because, you know, over the course of a professional career, and let us not forget, I just didn't wake up first lady. I mean, I went to law school. I practiced law. I worked for the city. I ran a nonprofit. I was an executive at a hospital. I've been in the world, I've worked in every sector. And you don't do that without coming up against some stuff, you know, having your feelings hurt, having people say things that aren't true. It's not just about race. I mean, you know, it's mm. just life hits you. So over the course of living, you learn how to protect yourself in it. You learn how to take in what you need and get rid of the stuff that's clearly not true. You know, so I have a very good sense of who I am. And my view to this stuff has always been like, it's always a challenge. It's like, oh, you think that? I'll show you because I'm going to work so hard and I'm going to be so on it. Yep that my actions will speak for themselves and I don't have to say anything. This is what Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie wrote. Did you see that piece? I did. I,
1: l- I You know, when I read I that piece, I know you letter. don't read pieces, but I read that's that one you should I, have read. I read that one. That so, was yeah, a piece. That was, that this was in me. the New York, New York Times recently. And she said, because she said what she thought and because she smiled only when she felt like smiling, And not constantly and vacuously, America's cheapest caricature was cast on her, the angry black woman. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's why she said it.
2: She said it well,
1: too. And she said it well. But that was one of the most beautiful things I'd read about you. I thought she summed it up for all of us. But when you were labeled that angry black woman, was that one of the things that knocked you back
2: a bit? That was one of those things that you just sort of think, dang. You don't even know me.
1: Yeah,
2: you know. I mean, you just sort of feel like, wow, well, where'd that come from?
1: Yeah,
2: you know. And that's the first blowback. Could you think, wow, that is so not me? But then you sort of think, well, this isn't about me. <laughs> this is about the person or the people who write it. Right. You know. I mean, that—that's just the truth. That's it's what like, Maya always used to say. Yeah, to me. it's just so—it's yes. so much about that. And then you start thinking, oh, wow. Mm we're so afraid of each other color wealth these things that don't matter still play too much of a a role in how we see one another Mm. and it it's sad because the the thing that least defines us as people is the color of our skin it's the It's the size of our bank account. None of that matters. You know this. Yes, of course. You know, it's our values. It's how we live our lives. And that was the blowback. And then I thought, okay, well, let me live my life out loud so that people can then see and then judge for themselves. You know, live it out loud. Don't dial it back. No apologies. Don't dilute it. Don't apologize for it. It speaks for itself.
1: So Malia was 10 and Sasha was 7. They were itty-bitties. And I remember one of the things that you said when I interviewed you eight years ago here. You said, either our stay here will make or break them. Yeah. Michelle calls the girls Sasha and Malia her proudest achievement. She often said they're just two little girls trying to figure it out. 15-year-old Sasha is in her second year of high school The Obamas plan to stay in Washington, D.C. until she graduates. 18-year-old Malia will walk in her parents' footsteps as a freshman at Harvard University next fall. Were there moments where you thought they might be broken?
2: That's a good question. I was so vigilant about this. I always had my ear to the ground. I mean, I, I talked about this, that the first year was really... You know, while we were doing work, laying the foundation on on our initiatives, I mean, I was really just cautiously making sure that they felt normal, that they felt good. um, And I think they were okay. Now, in the teenage years, this is the time when kids start to bristle against all kinds of authority. Imagine being 18, uh, 17, 16, 15, and you've got at least eight men with guns driving you around walking into your parties, (laughs) not letting you ride in your friends' cars. I mean, there were those tensions for sure that we had to sort of work through. Mm -hmm. But as I reminded my girls, it's like, these aren't problems, okay? (laughs) Or at least there's some very high-class problems. These are very high-class problems. Too much security. So me yes. and Barack and I, because of where we come from, we just couldn't sympathize with their. It's like, girl, you live in the White House. <laughs> you, you Do are you not think... gonna get to complain about this. So when you get here, mm-hmm. everybody beats with
1: you, and what is going to be your initiative? It feels like everything that you did came out of a personal space. Mm-hmm it felt yeah. like it was yeah. a real thing yeah. for you. Right. Do you think you moved the needle on childhood obesity?
2: Yes. Yes, I do. I think we have. I think and the we, we started talking about it. Exactly. Of you. Yes. Well, the, the when I first announced that we were gonna be working on childhood obesity. I mean there were a number of people from all sides of the aisle. You know, there were feminists who thought, well what's she doing out in the garden? You know, <laughs> this is a woman who went to Harvard, she should be doing X. Yes. You know, everybody had their sort of this is too light, this isn't a real issue. Or this is too weighty. She'll never have be able to move the mm-hmm. needle. Yes. It was it was a little bit of everything, which is another reason why you can't take any of it seriously because Everybody had something to say, yeah. right? On, did it on take all you a ends. moment
1: to get that? That I can't pay attention to what
2: everybody. Yeah, I knew that coming yeah. in. You did because okay. just as a professional, you know that if you want to get anything done, you can't do everything, and, and you're not right. going to please everybody. Exactly. You changed the conversation, really, for the way we looked at our military after teaming up with Jill Biden. Yeah, that has been one of the I greatest that, yes. honors mm-hmm. that we've had. Jill came to this issue differently than I because she is a Blue Star mom. Bo mm-hmm. was in the military. So it was just funny how we, and interesting, I should say, how we came to this issue from different vantage points. But I always say every American should spend some time in a military community. I was going to ask base. you,
1: what did, being with those military families, how did that enhance or enlighten your perspective? I mean, I knew you knew a lot going in. Right. But how going
2: it, into this, yeah. it was important to have them as my inspiration because it made any challenges that we were looking at here in the White House with our chandeliers and our, our butlers and our you know, gowns and all that, <laughs> any complaints that I might have. It was it seemed silly when I looked at some of these families dealing with their eighth, and ninth deployment mm. with family members coming back. These the average military kid goes to eight, nine, ten schools over the course of their childhood. And these kids are resilient. These families are brave. They do not complain. So when I would spend time in those communities, i think, I'm not complaining about nothing. I'm going to figure out how we lift these people up, how we tell their stories. You know, I, I get a little worked up when I start <laughs> talking about it. So you have to just sort of call me on, down. On that. So where do you think your greatest impact as First Lady has been? Greatest impact? That's hard to say. That's one of those sort of, I'm really good, and let me tell you how. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the greatest is just, one of the greatest things when I see young women, particularly African-American women, but young women generally seeing somebody educated, strong, outspoken, just seeing that yeah. on a regular yeah. basis. This is exactly what I said on the way here in the car. <laughs> yeah. did What did you say? I said, <laughs> you're just
1: being here, mm-hmm. being who you are, being yourself, mm-hmm. and allowing the rest of us to see yeah. that made us feel that whatever it is you were, we couldn't be that, we couldn't be in the White House, but we wanted a little bit of that for ourselves. (laughs) I have to ask you this, because when everybody found out I was gonna be interviewing you, this question came up and I I was like, no way it was, oh, that's not gonna happen. (laughs) The people seriously think Mm -hmm. that you are gonna run for office. Yeah, yeah.
2: I think some people think it seriously and some people are just, you know. hopeful. They're just hopeful, and that's yeah. good. Hope is good. But, yeah, it just, it, that reaction. Would you
1: just, ever run for office? I have to ask it. No. No kind of office.
2: No. I, I Look, that's one thing I don't do. I don't make stuff up. I'm not coy. I haven't proven that. I, yeah. I'm pretty direct. Yeah. If I were interested in it, I'd say it. I don't I believe in playing games. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's not something I would do. But it also speaks to the fact that people don't really understand how hard this is. And it's not something that you cavalierly just sort of ask a family to do again, maybe because we got it wrong or we think we got it wrong. So it's like, well, now you you do it. You just go back in there and do it. You're the closest thing to that, so you do it. But let me just tell America, (laughs) this is hard. It's a hard job. I said it on the campaign trail. It requires a lot of sacrifice. It is a weighty thing and it's not something that you even look to one family to take on at that level for that long of a period of time. Eight years is enough. And 16 years would be, right? (laughs) Let's just, you know, 16 years. I wouldn't do that to my kids. (laughs) Yeah. Because what people don't understand is that you run, their lives stop at any age. I mean, the next family that comes in here, Every person in that family, every child, every grandchild, their lives will be turned upside down in a way that no American really understands. And it's not for us to complain about it, mm-hmm. so you don't hear complaints, but it is a, a truth, an actuality, <laughs> that there is a weight to it. Yeah. So
1: the Democratic Party mm-hmm. has not asked you to run for anything. No. No conversations.
2: I'm not having conversations, no. <laughs> a conversation is like two, to a two-way street. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about, but I'm not talking back. You're not going to be
1: talking back. Not, no, no. So your husband's administration, everything, the election was all about hope. Do you think this administration achieved that?
2: Yes. I do. Because we feel the difference now. Yeah. See, now we're feeling what not having hope feels like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> hope is necessary. It's, it's a necessary concept. <laughs> and Barack didn't just talk about ho- hope because he thought it was just a nice slogan to get votes. I mean, he and I and so many believe that if you, what else do you have if you don't have hope? Yeah. What do you give your kids if you can't give them hope? Our children respond to crises the way they see us respond. You know, it's like the toddler that bumps his head on the table and they look up at you to figure out whether it hurts. And if you're like, oh my God, they're crying. But if you're like, you know what, babe, it's okay. It's okay. And I feel that way about the nation. I feel that Barack has been that for the nation in ways that people um, will come to appreciate. Mm. Having a, a grown-up in the White House who can say to you in times of crisis and turmoil, hey, it's gonna be okay. Let's remember the good things that we have. Let's look at the future. Let's look at all the things that we're building. All of this is important for our kids to stay focused and to feel like their work isn't in vain, that their lives aren't in vain. What do we do if we don't have hope, Oprah?
1: What do we do if we don't have hope? Is that his cue? Oh, hello. Fancy meeting you here. Fancy meeting you. Hi. We're just talking about hope and whether or not you achieve that.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs)
2: Hello. No point. I was making that same point. Mm -hmm. Good to see you. Good to see you. How are you? Thanks for stopping by. We were talking
1: about hope and whether or not your administration achieved that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel hopeful. What are you most hopeful about now? The next generation. Okay, the next generation.
3: You know, we've talked about this. History moves in cycles. And what lasts is the impact what we've done has had in people's minds and hearts. That's right. And that continues.
1: I want to ask you this. She came to be our first lady. Yeah. We love her. The approval ratings. You can tell. (laughs) But she was always your first lady. Yeah. Yeah. What surprised even you about the way she took on this mantle of 1st ladyism?
3: You know, uh, we all knew she was brilliant and cute and, and cute. strong and a great mom, but I think the way in which she blended purpose and policy mm-hmm. with fun uh-huh. so that she was able to reach beyond Washington uh, on her health care initiatives, on her military family work, it was masterful.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks for stopping by.
3: You know what, it is a pleasure to see you and uh, we'd have you over for dinner, but it sounds like you've got too much to do. I think you had some parties too. <laughs> you yeah. I think you Well, get... we'll catch up on the other right. side. We'll catch up on I'm gonna have a little more time Bye, on honey. January 21st. January 21st.
1: <laughs> by the way, can I just ask this final call? So when you all get on the helicopter, since you now live in Washington, are you just gonna circle the block and then go
3: home? No, we're going someplace <laughs> warm.
1: Okay. okay, okay, See ya. All right, see ya. See ya. <laughs> the Obamas' openly affectionate and romantic marriage was a dramatic and welcome change for the first couple living in the White House. During the last eight years, cameras often captured the intimacy the devotion, the joy, and mutual respect that has sustained their 24-year marriage. Did you and the president become closer during this time?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Because this could hurt a marriage or hurt? We can't
2: leave. (laughs) We're stuck in here together. No, no. This could (laughs) have a profound impact on
1: on a relationship.
2: It It really could. could. Um, Did it make you closer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you're, you know, this year only, the, the only other person who has a clue about what this is, the good, the bad, the, you know, is, is, your, is your partner. What do you think's been the biggest sacrifice for you? Probably anonymity. Anonymity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You, you know how that feels. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nowhere I can go in the world and just sit at a table and have a cup of coffee and watch the world. Well, you're still not going to be able to do that. Yeah, I am. <laughs> no, you're not, because you're getting ready to enter the yes, world. Yes, I am. No, it's all going to change. Are you prepared for the private citizen, public figure part of it? I don't. I don't know. You don't I know mean, what that's like, going to be like. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hope that you'll help me with that. I will do the best I can. But well, Debbie, I've never it been out? a first lady. Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> So when you think about moving out into the world, we've talked about going to Target. I got a better idea. What's that? Better than shopping? Okay. So
2: much better than okay. shopping. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. We should go glamping. Oh God! I saw you and Gail go no, glamping. We should go glamping. If, if you cook, because you like to cook. I like to cook. Okay, now, I'm down for glamping. Hey, look, I'm open. You're I'm open. You you will be the one that doesn't have any time. But yes, that's no, no, great. no, we should do that. that. I was think
1: that's so much going to be so much more fun than shopping. Okay, we can shop I, anytime. I
2: agree. I agree. I'm down. Sign me up. Glamping. We could go lots of things. Oprah and Michelle on the road <laughs> in Yos- Yosemite. <laughs>
1: Yosemite, and that's exactly it.
2: I want to see we we the promote national promote the national parks. Uh, Yosemite. It's hundred years. 100 okay. 100 All right, years. we're on. All right. All right. Somebody's gonna start calling you <laughs> for that one. But that sounds fun. I would love to do that. Okay. Okay. Don't think I'm not calling. I'm. You. I'm. I'm serious. I'm. Ser- I like. I said. I don't make claims okay. to do stuff that I'm not gonna do. I'm down for glamping. Okay. Where will your mother go? Will she's she She's going back to Chicago. She's like, bye, Felicia.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> she's going to come. She's my... Grandma is done So she's not staying to be with Sasha when you, know, you all are on the road? Yes, yes. She will come back and forth. But she said, I will travel back and forth. You call... She will come whenever we need her. OK.
1: Eight years ago, I asked you, what was your prayer for your family? And you said that we remain whole. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think you did that.
2: Yeah, we're OK. We're all right. So now I ask you, what is your prayer for our country? It's hope. My desire for this country is that we remain hopeful and that we find a place in our hearts to love each other. It's really simple, you know, just opening up our hearts to others, making room. Making room. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Mm. And for me, Mm -hmm.
1: as an African-American woman watching you on this world stage, just the fact that you were here, just the fact that you were here and remained so completely yourself and that self presented itself with such grace was enough for me and us all, I think. Thank you. Thanks for this. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul conversation. Thank you for listening.
3: If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is,
0: I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there.
3: Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car